So if you walk into any church, you will see an item. Almost any church out there, you will see just a plethora of the same book. It's the Bible. If you look in the back of our Collide room, you will see stacks of Bibles. If you go into the sanctuary, you will see tons of Bibles. If you go into any environment within the local church, you will see Bibles. It's one thing that Christian, Christians, church people, believers are known for. We have our, our Bible. Now, some of us approach the Bible in such a way where when we pick up a Bible or even our Bible, there's such confidence. Like it feels natural in our hands. But for others, they approach the Bible in such a way that it feels like a, a foreign tool. And there's a little bit of angst associated with it. But what we want you to know, what we want our students to know, is that regardless of your experience with the Bible, we are all capable of reading, understanding, and applying the Bible on a regular basis. We're all capable of reading, understanding, and applying Scripture to our lives if. Now, the Bible was created for a purpose. And any time that we pick up a tool that was created for a purpose, we have to ask the question, am I prepared to use this tool? Now, one of my, one of my greatest passions in life growing up was baseball. I, I have just all these memories of playing baseball. I started playing team baseball when I was four years old. One of the first memories I have as a four-year-old playing baseball is running away from my coaches, climbing the backstop, and stripping off my clothes after I got out. That's one that my family loves to talk about. The story that my, my family doesn't talk about as much was when I was also a four-year-old playing in the All-Star game and made the final catch the fi for the final out of the All-Star game. That story never gets any airtime with my family. But I think back... I think back to, to playing baseball, and, and certainly my passion in baseball was the defensive side of the ball. I absolutely loved being a, a player who would sell out physically to make a play. And so I have memories of making great defensive plays. Offense was not my strong suit. Didn't even really like it. I, I just loved, I loved shutting people down when they, were, when they were trying to get hits. And so when I went up into high school, I went to Haltom High School and had the opportunity to play our district rivals, the Richland Rebels, my freshman year. Now, we were going up against a guy who ends up going off to a Division I school to play baseball. Back in ninth grade, he was probably throwing mid-80s or so on his four-seam, a pretty, pretty good fastball for a ninth grader. And so we go up there, and in my second at-bat, he throws me this fastball, and I swing with all my might. And what was effectively a sacrifice bunt, or a little dribbler of a shot, I hit this little pull cue of a shot down the third base line. As a left-handed player, I take my cut, hits off the end of my bat, and just dribbles down the line. And effectively, I bunted the ball and got safe on first. Now, at the time, it was pretty cool. At the end of the game, it was even better because that was the sole hit that prevented a one-hitter from being a no-hitter. It was awesome. But even with that excellence, you... You, you maybe have seen professional athletes pick up a baseball bat that haven't played baseball. When a basketball player or football player or soccer player picks up a baseball bat for the first time at like a charity softball game or whatever, it can actually be quite comical. Guys that make millions upon millions of dollars who pick up a baseball bat for the first time look as if they've never done anything athletic in their life. You see, when we have tools in our hands that we're not comfortable with, even people who have confidence, who have expertise in other areas of life, pick up a tool they're not comfortable with, and they feel out of place. They feel like it's not for them. 
And so one of the things I think we have to wrestle with in this society, in this culture we grow up in, we, we are raised to be proficient, to be experts, to be competitive in all areas of life. And we want to make sure that we are the best. And so the way that translates to our middle school and high school students is that right now, there are students who are enrolled in private lessons, instructions for any of their extracurriculars. There are classes in addition to classes to go prepare to take tests. There are people who are happy having a job, but then they actually want the promotion. In fact, there are students in our youth ministry right now who are assistant managers because they've been pushed to develop and become experts to become great at what they do. We want to be great, but when we are left feeling incapable or incompetent or less than, we have to make the decision. Am I going to forge ahead with something I don't feel comfortable with, or am I going to decide it's not for me? Now, the the professional athlete who makes his living playing soccer picks up a baseball bat for a charity game and says, okay, once a year is enough for me. Like, I'm going to pick it up, I'm going to go do the game, people are going to laugh at me or whatever, and I'm going to help out that cause, but I'm not going to pick up the bat on a regular basis. I have no reason to. And that's okay for the professional athlete picking up a bat, and it's not a sport. But it's not okay. It's not okay with the foundational tool of our faith development, the Bible. And I think sometimes people have approached the Bible in such a way where it's not okay to not understand. Or it's not okay to miss a day of Bible reading. Or it's not okay to struggle with applying what we've read. Because we feel like we have to be experts. And so one thing I want you to know, one thing I want our students to know is it's okay. If if picking up the Bible feels like a foreign tool in your hand, it's okay. And it's okay to miss a day of reading. I know we have Bible reading plans that cover every single day of the week, but it's okay to miss a day. It's okay to read a passage of Scripture and say, I just, I don't get that. And it's okay, even if you understand exactly what it's saying, to say, yeah, I get it, and I know what it's calling me to, but that's incredibly difficult, and I'm not sure I want to. We're not perfect. It's the reason we need the Bible. Now, when we struggle using something, whether it's a tool, when we struggle with something new, we oftentimes reach a decision point pretty early on. Will I continue? Or will I quit? Will I keep going? Or will I quit? Now, sometimes this decision actually comes before we even start in the first place. For me, that happened with golf. When I I looked at the price that it would cost me to be excellent at golf, and I looked at my bank statements, and I looked at my budget, my wife and I came to the mutual decision, golf is not for you, Michael. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. The cost, the cost of being good at golf was too high for me to take on at the time. So before I even started, I made the decision I'm not going to. And so whether or not you see challenges on the front end or challenges in the middle, you are going to have decision points where you have to decide, is the challenge worth it? Now here's here's what I know. If you decide on the front end that it's worth it, overcoming those challenges are, are, are doable. If you count the cost, of what it will cost you to do this, you're more and more prepared to overcome those challenges. Here's what I also know. Every time you overcome an obstacle or a challenge and something you're aspiring towards, it gets easier to tackle the next one. And so if we don't quit right at the beginning, we have a much better chance at continuing on. You are capable of reading, understanding, and applying the Bible. 
If you already do this, if this is something that's a part of your daily life, I just want to put this out there to you. You're capable of reading, understanding, and applying in a much bolder way than you are right now. You can do it. And so to do this, what we want to challenge you and what we want to challenge our students in this youth ministry is to read like our lives depend on it. We want to challenge everyone in this room, everyone in our ministry, to read like our lives depend on it. Anytime you get onto an airplane, there's this little lecture you receive towards the beginning of your flight, uh, even before you leave and and jump onto the runway. And it's life-saving information that we typically keep our earbuds in for. Now, we, we don't listen because we don't think we need that info. But, I guarantee you, if at any point you hit turbulence and you have a little bit of nerves in your system, you can see this. In fact, the next time you're on an airplane, I encourage you to watch when there's turbulence, when those seatbelt signs come on, see how many people around you actually pick up the instructions for what to do in the event of an exit. You see people reading and, and people who self-profess that, I haven't read a book since high school. Well, they're reading that because it's important right then. And so when we challenge people to read like their lives depend on it, what we want to acknowledge is that the Bible has content in it. The Bible's place in our life is life-changing. We need to read like our lives depend on it because it has something to say for every aspect of our life today and every part of our eternity. And so if we read the Bible like our lives don't depend on it, there's no reason to read. If it doesn't impact our life, go read other books. Read like our lives depend on it on it. Paul wrote many letters to different believers, and, and some letters were, were, were written to people that, that he had seen grow up in the faith. Second Timothy is, is this letter where Paul has a guy named Timothy. He had watched grow up in the faith and even step into pastoral leadership. In Second Timothy, he gives Timothy this admonition, this calling, this, this encouragement to root his life into the words of God, into the Bible, into Scripture. So I want to read 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Now here's what was going on in Timothy's world. There were people around him who would have called themselves believers, who would have called themselves people of the faith. And yet, when adversity hit, they were wandering away. And so there were things in the world that made it very hard to be a faithful Christian, very similar to what we experience today. There are things in the world that make it very hard to be a faithful, committed Christ follower. And so Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the value of Scripture is tied to what it enables us to do. Quite simply, the usefulness of Scripture is based on its purpose. We have to use the Bible in terms of its purpose. And so in, in this passage, we see two primary purposes or Purpose-i, I don't know English well. Um, two primary purposes that Paul talks about. First, use, hey, somebody used that in an email this week, like a real formal email. 
the two purpose I of this meeting will be. Um, do that. That would, that would give me a little bit of joy. Um, first, first, uh, Scripture gives wisdom unto salvation. Scripture gives us the wisdom that it takes to understand that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. The Bible throughout points to exactly where the salvation comes from. It doesn't come from our own efforts. It doesn't come from our own goodness. It doesn't come from the works that we do. It comes solely from Jesus himself. There are countless stories of people who have, who have given their lives to Christ because of a time they read the Bible. They read the Bible and the words of scriptures came to life and they finally understood that it's not within themselves to save themselves, it's within the power of Jesus. And so the wisdom for salvation comes strictly from knowing that Jesus Christ is the way. The Bible points to this over and over again. Next, the Bible equips us for every good work. And so when you read verses 16 and 17, you see that scripture has many functions, the the teaching, the rebuking, correcting, the training, and these functions show us the right way to live a complete, godly life. We need teaching, we need correction, we need rebuking, we need instruction, training on how to be the person we were created to be. Now what I love about this, it says, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, in isolation, that calling to every good work may seem like a small thing. Oh, okay, go do good things. But when you read that statement in light of what Paul believed about good works, it gets even bigger. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so our, our very being, we are people created by God for good works. And Scripture equips us to do what we were made to do. And so if, if, if the Bible becomes an optional part of the Christian life, we're, we're missing out on foundational truth that the Bible equips us Scriptures equip us to actually live out the lives today that God has called us to today. Our salvation is not an out there salvation. Our salvation impacts today. The Bible was not just made so sermons could be preached. It wasn't made for bashing people. It wasn't made to have stronger tools of judgment against the sinners in this world. It was made to equip us. It was made to give us the tools to prepare us to do the good works that God has called us to. Not only has he called us to them, he's actually prepared them for us. It's like every single week I drop my kids off to preschool and I walk, in, I walk my kids into the room and there on the table are all these different art supplies, these craft supplies that the teacher has laid out ahead of time. And all my kids have to do is walk in there and use the tools, the resources, the supplies to put together the project that that teacher beforehand decided that they needed to do. My three-year-old is not responsible for dreaming up what, what project he's doing. He's not responsible for going to the supply cabinet and getting all the supplies together. He is simply responsible for sitting in his place that is, is set aside for him and doing what is set before him. And if we are people who seek to read, under, understand, and apply Scripture, we will be those types of people who are simply faithful followers who live out what God has put ahead of us. 
before we miss it, I want to look at how Timothy experienced the Bible. He was called to continue in what he learned. His firm belief came from truth over time. He had examples that he looked to. The beginning part of 2 Timothy talks about his mom and his grandma. It was his mom and his grandma who rooted him in the faith from infancy. We need to be people who are ensuring that our families are hearing truth over time. Now, unless any of you are planning on having babies this upcoming year, now that would be a great announcement to make to this class as parents of teenagers, but if, unless you're planning on babies this year, like your opportunity from infancy on is gone. Like you don't get infancy back. You don't get it back. But you have today. You see, the reality is, if you're trying to teach truth over time, if you haven't started yet, the most timely time to start is today. Because it's what you got. Truth over time. Now, reading like your life depends on it means getting an explanation if you don't understand. It's so vital to our daily life and even our future souls that, that we have to ask for explanation. We may be wired in such a way where if we're not good enough, if we don't understand on our own, we don't think it's necessary for us. But sometimes we need an explanation. Sometimes we need people who have gone further than us. Timothy was one of those people who needed Paul. And in all of our lives, I think if we've experienced any sort of spiritual growth, we can attest to the fact that we need people who have been further down the road of faith than us helping us. Now, Acts 8.26 really shows this in a pretty cool way where somebody was willing to ask for help. Acts 8. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. And he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Now I want you to think about this. He had pulled over to the side of the road so he could read the Bible. He wasn't scrolling through his phone while driving on D.B. Wood. Now, if I've ever seen any of you scrolling through your phone on D.B. Wood, I'll honk at you next time. But um, he, wasn't, like, he wasn't in his chariot driving. He had actually set aside time. He thought it was important enough to try to understand the Bible that he had pulled aside to read it. But the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said... What a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, what is the prophet saying this? Uh, Who is the prophet? Of who is the prophet saying this? About himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. It goes on. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, there is water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Look at how all this works together. A person was reading Scripture, the official. He didn't understand it, even though he wanted to. He got help to understand from somebody who knew more and had been further in the faith than him. 
the scripture gave him wisdom for understanding the way to salvation through Christ Jesus. And it equipped him for his very first good work as a believer, obedience and baptism. Here's the challenge. Read like your life depends on it by reading regularly and seeking help to understand. And that help you do that, help you do that individually, to help our families here in this youth ministry do that, I want to encourage you with some tools. Some of them I would consider primary tools. Others I would consider secondary. Primary tool number one would be a good study Bible. A good study Bible will last you a very long time. They take the complexity of, of, and foreign nature of Scripture and help explain it to modern readers. It takes the combined scholarship of a lot of different experts through the years and disseminates their knowledge down into bite-sized chunks that we can grasp. And so um, typically, typically you will get an intro to the book of the Bible. You'll, you'll understand in a greater way why that specific book was written, which will help you understand the content even more. But then what follows throughout is some awesome stuff is verse by verse, you will see some explanation of those passages. If you want to put a tool in the hand of your kid to help them understand the Bible in a greater way, a study Bible is a great investment. Now, a quality study Bible can be purchased for, you know, probably between $30 and $50. I would recommend a couple of different things. Number one, I don't recommend teen study Bibles to teenagers uh, because the shelf life is pretty short. And what I mean by that is by the time they hit eighth or ninth grade, teenage stuff isn't cool anymore. They don't want to be a teen. Um, and so if it says teenager on it, it's, it's probably too young for them. Um, the, the commentary that's written, the description within the notes in most study Bibles, there is not great variation between teenage and adult notes. The reality is the, the way that study Bibles are written are for the common person to understand, and that's, that's great. And so with, with average middle school, high school reading skills, your, your kids can understand the adult study Bible. The other thing is, if you're going to spend $50 on a resource, get something that's going to last a little bit longer. If, if you keep your study Bible, and I, I know my first study Bible I kept for about 15 years before I replaced it, um, and it's finally been phased out of my daily reading, that, you're talking less than two cents, less than one cent a day that you would be making the investment. The final thing I would say on why getting a good one, if you've ever used a good tool versus a cheap tool, you know how you care about the good tool more. There's just something about having something of, of in, like value that causes you to value it more. And so if you're buying grilling supplies, get the good stuff. If you're buying a new drill, get the good one. If you're going to use something over and over and over again, spend some money on it. And so there's a link in the app for that. We do use the CSB translation. And so if you go to CSB, csbstudybible.com, that would be a good place to go to get a, to get a study Bible. The other tool I would consider a primary tool is biblical preaching in your local church. I, I would say that one of the most underutilized uh, primary tool uh, is, is biblical preaching in our local church. Now, the, the reality is you can listen to any preaching you want to in the world. There's some great pastors out there. But biblical preaching in the local church is to lead a congregation toward wisdom for salvation and equipping for good works and it's this weekly act of submission to where we are headed as a local body. You see, the good works that are laid out before us by God are individual. Like we have individual things that God has called us to. But we also have corporate expressions within the life of the church that we're called to. And the place that we as a congregation hear what the good works are that we're being called to is within 
congregational worship and preaching. And so a primary tool for your students, for you, would be that weekly preaching of the Word. Now, this cost right here is not $30 to $50. For most of you that come on Sunday mornings, it's not even the time cost. The number one cost that most people don't want to give up when it comes to biblical preaching is autonomy. The number one thing is the idea that we would submit to what anyone else would say of our lives. And we have to be very open and honest about where we're at in our ability and our willingness to submit to the leadership of the local church. If, if, if your kid picks, and I want you to know, if your kid picks between collide or corporate worship, I want your kid going to corporate worship. I would rather, I would rather our students hear from Kevin Eckert, our lead pastor, and any of our directional pastors on that stage about where we're heading as a congregation than for them to hear me on a Wednesday night or anybody else that fills this stage. It is more important to be committed to the local body of believers than a ministry of that local body. And youth ministry is a ministry of this local body. But what we do on Sundays at 9.30 and 11 in the big room, that is the corporate expression and has way more value. But to do that, you may have to give up autonomy. Those are the two tools, good study Bible, biblical preaching, some secondary tools, I'll fly through these. Um, another plan would be a Bible reading plan. Uh, if you want to ever grow in, in the discipline of any tool, it's nice to have some stuff to work on. The daily reading plan helps keep you on, on track. Now, regardless of, of what kind of plan you use, I, my encouragement to you and to, your, to our students is instead of trying to go broad, I would try to go deep in what you read. It's, it's way more important to spend time on, on smaller chunks of Scripture, but to dedicate not only reading, but understanding and applying. And most of us cannot read, understand, and apply the totality of the Bible every year. And there's something within us that says, oh yeah, the Bible in a year, what a great goal, what a great goal, what a great goal. That's the same goal as running a marathon. It's a great goal, but couch to 5K may be better. And so we, we have to focus on what we're capable of reading, understanding, and applying. And I, and I would encourage, for most people, a more targeted, narrow approach. Another tool would be Right Now Media. Um, we have some video-based information out there. Uh, as, a, as a church, we subscribe to Right Now Media, which is an online library of Bible teaching. There's stuff for teenagers. There's stuff for kids. If you have little ones, there is some great kid stuff out there. There are marriage resources, parenting resources. The list goes on and on and on of what's on Right Now Media. Uh, you can access that on our church website. And then finally, uh, one thing we'll be showing students over the course of the series is the Bible Project. The Bible Project, I think, dot, let's see, what did I write down? The BibleProject.com. BibleProject.com gives an introduction to each, uh, each book of the Bible. In addition to that, it talks about biblical themes to help you understand um, heaven and hell, good and evil, and different things that pop up within Scripture. Now, the tools are available. And I think that's one thing we have to realize is that we are a more resourced generation, we are a more resourced people within the world than anyone in the history of this planet. There are so few excuses for us when it comes to the ability to read, understand, and apply the Bible compared to people of all time, of all regions. And so we have to simply ask the question, is it worth it to us 
to read, understand, and apply the Bible. And, and I just, I, I think it'd be great. I, I think it'd be great if we looked across this ministry and saw parents and students who were daily seeking to read, understand, and apply the Bible. But I also think it would be great that it's not just the end that we see, that we see the process where we see people honestly struggling through what's a challenge. And that when somebody says, this part's really hard for me, we bring our arms around them and say, yeah, it was hard for me too when I did that. It was hard when I was reading the book of 1 Kings to go through all that stuff. It was hard. It, yeah, these are parts where I struggle to understand how to apply that to daily life. And then taking it a step further, Philippians 2.5, that keeps going. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. When I, I mean, I've been wrestling with that passage for six weeks now. It's like, man, that's hard to live out. It's hard to compare my attitude sometimes in the workplace, in the home, in the community, on the road with that of Christ Jesus. I understand it. I get it. But living it out? But wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if across this place that we saw the good works in front of us as something that we're only capable of doing because we've spent time with the Lord? Wouldn't it be great if we were people that carried the message of Christ because we're willing to carry Scripture into places that Scripture is not? I think it'd be great. Let's pray. Father, you are good to give us your word. You are good to give us the opportunity to learn what it means to be saved. As we ask the questions about what it would look like for us in our homes, in our families, in our own lives, in this church, be people that dedicate themselves to spending time in the word, I ask that you would give us encouragement and a willingness to venture deep. In your name we pray. Amen.